Welcome back to So I Used to Be in a Band. I'm Jim Bowen, that guy you knew who used to play in a band or two. Yeah. I shared the stage quite a few times with today's guest, uh, either supporting one of his bands or having his support at one of the Simpatico shows I used to play. So I want to welcome to today's episode, Ian Ferris. Hey, Ian, are you there? Hey, Jim. How's it going? It's it's going great. Thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you. It's been been a few years it, it has it was nice uh you're one of the few people who i've spoken to actually that you might be the only one from back in the states that i've seen since i left so it was nice in 2015 to get to spend some time with you again uh, yeah. but yeah it's been a while <laughs> absolutely um i was thinking about before the show how we met and i remembered that we i used to be an assistant manager at the blockbuster on shelburne road in I think South Burlington, Vermont, that was there. And we've, I think we talked about movies and we ended up bumping into each other a couple of years later when we were both working at University Mall and we realized we were neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, um, you know, one of the things I remember from our time at Blockbuster, Jim, was that um, uh, we had an argument about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I specifically remember... Uh, and I don't know whose side one of us liked the auto tune. One of us didn't. And we were clashing heads about it. And I, I think it had to do with his live sound, but I, Anthony I, I remember that. Live. Yes. You, so, you didn't like the auto tune because of it, it was uh, on Californication. And we were, yeah. we were talking. Yeah. Uh, but I do. that. That's one of the first memories I have of knowing you was arguing in a blockbuster about the red hot chip. It must have just been playing over the sound system or something. I wonder how we wound up there. Yeah, yeah. And instead of talking about what your Saturday night rental was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, you know, it was cool that we ended up being neighbors. Uh, I'm going to get into what fruitation came out of that, playing together. I mean, we lived together. We shared the stage many times. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to talk first about yourself and the funny thing is i i was sitting here the other night and i i turned to linda and i said you know i don't even really know ian's background in music i just got together and started playing music with him and i talk a lot and tell everybody what i've done yeah. <laughs> so everybody knows about jim and Cinderblock baby and lenny and all that stuff but uh you know how old were you when you first started playing guitar um so basically um man probably around 13 is when I really started playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it came about just because I think like Slash from Guns N' Roses, seeing that guy play the guitar, like really, I was like, oh, I really want to do that. Uh, and and then and then shortly thereafter, Kurt Cobain and all. Like yeah. I just, every, I think Slash made me want to play guitar and Kurt Cobain made me want to write songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that started when I was like, you know, 13 years old. I was playing on a on a beat up um, Sears brand guitar, mm-hmm. whatever their brand was. It was, and it wasn't even mine. It was my sister's. The action was terrible. <laughs> the, the guitar was horrible. And um, uh, but uh, that's where I I 
was like, oh, I want to learn how to play this more. And I asked my mom to buy me a guitar. And uh, she said that um, I had to get a job. <laughs> and so I got my first job working at McDonald's. Yeah. And I bought my first guitar. It was a nylon string. I still have it in my basement. You've probably seen it. I put stickers yeah. all over it. I put, I, at one point, I put like a, a pickup in it, in, in a nylon string guitar, and it made like mm -hmm. some awful feedback crazy it was a noise machine for a while but um uh i bought that for 85 dollars in like 1993 that's uh, awesome and uh that was my first guitar and then um th there's you know, something punk about nylon string guitar with a pickup in it though yeah well that's what I, you know <laughs> that's my roots also came from because with uh, uh um I got very much into like the punk scene in New York because I grew up right outside of the city in Westchester, yeah. New York, and uh, grew up going to a lot of punk shows and 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 clubs uh, in the city, um, and just shows and seeing so much amazing music from a very young age. You know, mm -hmm. as young as fourteen, I was taking the train into Manhattan by myself uh, or with some friends to go see some incredible, incredible bands and shows. It's um, amazing. And so um, that was like a big part of my upbringing as well. And being that in such close proximity to so much music made me just want to make my own. And I was in bands from the age of 14. Uh, what was, band, what was, well, yeah, your first band, who was your first band? Uh, the first band I was ever in was called Gargamel. Nice. Uh, and uh, after the evil guy in the Smurfs. And um, that was with my really good friend, Steve. Uh, and my other amazing friend, Craig Teicher. Um, mm -hmm. So Steve uh, has changed his name to Jarvis, and he is in a band now called uh, Woods. Um, okay. And they are um, the indie darlings. They, they get reviewed in Pitchfork positively every album that they put out. Uh, uh, you know, they, they do international tours. Like he's, he's a successful musician, you know, even if you've nice. never heard of him, he's touring the planet and making a living off of playing music now. Um, well, I'll and, go back and I'll go back and find them all on Spotify and check them out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Woods is, they're, they're a great band. And then the drummer of that band, um, his name is, uh, Craig Teicher, uh, uh, is actually a published and well-respected poet. So he's wow. released many books. I, I, he's a professor somewhere. Uh, I know he lives in New York. I want to say it's NYU, but I'm not sure. Uh, but he gets published in the New York Times and the New Yorker magazine. And he's like a famous poet, right? So that's, that was my very first band uh, 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 that I was in with those two incredible guys um, and uh, really cut our teeth um, as young guys with that. And that was that was a lot of fun and we learned a lot from each other and um uh i still talk to those guys from time to time and uh, um yeah yeah i think a lot of us do i mean that's i'm talking to guys that i played with when i was young as well it's not i, I you know the funny thing is as I've, as I've been doing this show it's not as uncommon as we think i think when you spend hours on end in a you know a, a square room or garage or i said garage i'm sorry garage of my vernacular of being in britain uh the uh you know playing in a basement i think when you're around that group of friends with a group of guys for an extended period of time that kind of friendship you know there's some people that you meet in your life that that's where your friends for life are going to come from yeah absolutely when when did you so when when i met you um 
actually, I'm going to go actually, before I go there, we're talking about developing your playing style. And I just, you know, I, I can't help but not touch on Trey a little bit. You know, you talked about Slash. Um, and I think by the time I'd met you, 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 you have a beautiful Les Paul, you know, your amp, everything. It's great to get on stage with you because I know that you're going to sound great every single night. And I know that Slash had a lot of influence on your early playing, but I think you had a lot of uh, influence in your later playing from Trey Anastasio, correct? If I'm right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, um, yes, absolutely. So, but it was hard for me um, with my, uh, like I said, my punk rock background. There was a period of my life in the, um, in the late 90s, 96, 97, where I was ashamed that I was a fish fan. I had, because I had to hide it from my <laughs> punk rock friends because they would not be okay with this this hippie bullshit you know like so <laughs> there was a part of me where it was very much a guilty pleasure that i hid uh to uh, um and um but you know just as especially as i've gotten older i've just full i'm I, you know i i love fish and i've seen them all over their, the 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 country and um uh uh they've had a big impact on my life and uh yeah and so and of course my playing i i wish i could play as well as that guy or as well as Slash, you know, but I've I've done my best at times to learn <laughs> what those guys have done and emulate it to the best of my abilities. But, um, you know, my strong suit has always been my singing voice. I've always been much better at, with with my to do a lot. I can do a lot more interesting things with my voice than I can do with my with a guitar. Uh, but I, I agree. I agree. Your your singing voice. Definitely. Oh, man, your singing voice is taking you places out with this. And we'll go to there uh, a little bit and a little bit later in the show but uh you know the funny thing is i'm just going to say about fish growing up in vermont and i've I, you know having come from vermont you came up to vermont from new york from the punk scene my my issue that i ran into with fish in the mid 90s when i was playing with Cinderblock baby i would say 1994 95 96 those were our hot years and we would go and we would set up to play our shows and we had all this original material that we put our time and effort into and people would show up at our shows and yell at us to play fish songs. <laughs> <laughs> and it made, it made us legitimately angry at fish, unfortunately yeah. in that time, because, you know, I was kind of like, well, you'll go to a fish show and you'll listen to fish and you'll dance to fish. So why won't you come to our show and just get down with what we're doing today? Well, but, but Jim, here's the yeah. thing though. Fish has never played achy breaky heart. Mm. Are you sure? Are you positive? I, 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 I've I checked it over, Jim. They have not played Aki Breaky Heart. <laughs> so uh, you know, you, I, ha, you'll, you will always have that on them. I, I will have Aki Breaky Heart on them. And you know what? They've got covers on me that I, I wish I could have played with a band that I played with. Yeah. When uh, you know, I'm gonna transition this over to you know the original stuff you started writing and your original material you know i've always been a fan of the songs that you've written your original material when did you start writing songs yourself wow um 14 like as soon as i could pick up guitar like the first song i ever learned how to play on the guitar i think was knocking on heaven's door yep uh um, nice and well, I, I, man but I, it was even shortly after that, once I learned a few chords, like then I started doing, writing my own songs. And um, that's where uh, um, me and my good friend, Steve, that we just, we had common ground and we just would write songs together. And mm -hmm. uh, um, that was just a really great experience early on. We, we didn't 
want to play other people's music. We wanted to create music together. Um, and um, so, in fact, that first band I was ever in, him and I would switch off. Like some songs I would play guitar and he would play bass and then other songs were vice versa. I always had to sing everything. He wouldn't sing anything, mm -hmm. <laughs> which uh, luckily over the years has actually changed for him. And he's, uh, uh, um, uh, he's done some lead vocals in some of the songs for Woods, but also he's consistently singing backup vocals. And uh, um, so I'm glad he got over that fear. Uh, 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 but early on, he would only let me sing. So, uh, but so that's where it started. We we wrote, you know, I, I couldn't even tell you the first song that I ever wrote, what it was called or what it was about, <laughs> uh, because we just at that point, we were writing so much stuff all the time. And just some of it turned into songs we played with a band and some of it is probably on a tape in my basement. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of songs that you started doing that turned into a band, uh, like when I first met you. You had a friend. We have a mutual friend, Corey. You introduced me to Corey. Uh, you know, I, I look forward maybe to getting Corey on the show at some point. He is now our international touring drummer for Grammy-nominated Bombino, which is pretty cool to be able to say. Yeah, he's a professional um, drummer, and you know he yeah. is. Yeah. He is. Uh, but when I met you and you'd been hanging out with Corey, you had this song called LMNOP. It was this really cool kind of yeah, the kind of like dancey rock tune. There was a lot of fun. It was a great live tune. And you've been working on this stuff with Corey, but you didn't really have a band. How did that all kind of start to mold together when you well, started Evil Hero? Well, essentially, much like uh, uh, Jake's story, um, mm -hmm. was, Corey was a Craigslist find. I think I put up an ad looking for a drummer and Jake mm -hmm. did not respond, but Corey did. <laughs> um, and so uh, for like two Plus years, it was literally Corey and I in the basement of uh, of my house across the street from the Burlington Airport, um, and it was just him and I writing music together. That that I learned so much in that period of time when I was just playing with him, because um, mm -hmm. he is just an incredible drummer with incredible just tuned in stuff, yeah. and he would take little simple things that I wrote and add a complexity to them and i was follow, and he was kind of dragging the song so all of those songs lmnop included are very much like Corey just dragged us through those and and, mm -hmm. and just oh it may really put the polish on the songs that they needed you know he wasn't sitting there telling us oh play this chord or this note or it was more about times and how to just try you know, transitioning from one section to the next with with and with interest and, and care. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, and so I learned a lot playing with him, and I, and I cherished those days when it was just him and I. But there was nobody else. There was nobody else that we were uh, that we knew were there were playing. He had recently moved up here from the Boston area, and I had recently moved up here from the New York area, and we were just two like-minded, uh, like musical minds that just met. And uh, man. Um, all of the stuff that I've done since then, uh, you know, I, I, I can attribute in some way, shape or form to what I learned from Corey during those times. Which yeah. is him and I, I um, had a lot of fun playing with you guys. Yeah. And then, so then that turned into a couple years later, we finally found the right foot. We, Corey and I played with a couple of different musicians before we finally found, uh, Sean, uh, Rice. And mm -hmm. uh, and Nick Rosado to uh, uh, um, join us on a second guitar, and 
bass. And then Sean brought a lot to the table because he had been writing songs for a long time. And I think while his songwriting style and my songwriting style were different, we complimented each other and we enjoyed collaborating. Mm -hmm. Um, And to this day, Sean and I still collaborate on artistic projects, but just not um, uh, uh, bands. Well, Sean was great. You know, back, you know, Sean's a graphic artist. I'm just going to say to everyone out there, one of the coolest things about Sean is that if you had a show in Burlington and you needed a poster, Sean, at least during the time, I'm sure he got inundated with requests, but being a friend of his, he supplied the best show posters I've ever had. I think in most of the bands, if you look at the Burlington art scene and show poster scene, he probably dominated anything that was going on. I would say around yeah, the late that, 2008 to 2012 period. I just, uh, I, I, I hope uh, uh, at some point um, he's got such an amazing portfolio of artwork he's done over the years. And I just, yeah. at some point he gets recognized for, and he's, you know, uh, he's doing a lot of great stuff now. He, um, um, uh, he's part of Camp Mead, which is an arts yep. collective down. Yeah. In, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen that. Middlesex. And, uh, they put on shows and they have like an art gallery and he's, he's, I, I'm just so glad he's still in that art world. And, um, cause he's just so talented and, uh, uh, yeah. And him and I have collaborated, uh, um, on a, on a couple of stage shows now where, um, where we've done used projection and, um, yeah, we could get into that when we get into the, where, where I, yeah. Where you've gone after that. One of the things that I, I'm going to just, you know, talk about, evil hero a little bit and you know i've always been a big fan of the song rubberneck row and you wrote this song <laughs> and you know it was sean sean wrote it that's a sean song oh well you wrote the lyrics to the song yes, yes. and I, I actually think the lyrics are really cool because i think the lyrics are really uh for me there's one of those things where i kind of personally interpret as you're having a life crisis no matter what it is and you don't need people to just come by and ask you if you're okay or just standing there watching you what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've always liked that. But then, uh, you know, maybe Sean intentionally wrote it. I, I, I put it in the notes here that one of the things that I loved about the song was Sean's one string guitar solo that he kind of intentionally put in. And if anybody could ever go out and find this song and listen to it, it is just a, it, it's written well, lyrics are good, the song is good top to bottom. But there's something that just it's you you hear all these flashy guitar soloists out there and people trying to cut these leads that are insane in one direction, mind melting, whatever. And Sean just puts in this like intentional. He wanted to play a solo on one string. Yeah. And he plays it in this song. (laughs) Like the uh, uh, I want to be sedated by the Ramones. That's just one note on one string. So they have us mm-hmm. beat with that. But this is one, this is a one string solo. I think I want to say there's like maybe five, six notes. In it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it, it's, it's very you know, melodic and awesome. Yeah. And that was, you know, the, uh, um, with Evil Hero, we would boil the songs down and then build them up. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and we, we uh, uh, that was one that, that I, I, I really enjoyed uh, putting together. It was great writing with those guys. So, the other thing I want to talk to you about outside of Evil Hero, obviously, is the Shiny Ropes and the Beer Bottle Label uh, <laughs> experience. Yeah. Uh, Evil Hero couldn't, uh, all the members couldn't be there. Corey was off playing with another band uh, that uh, that weekend. 
and Nick couldn't join us. So, Jim, you had to fill in on bass for us. And yep. uh, our mutual friend James uh, played drums. And it was me and Sean. And I think we played a bunch of Evil Hero songs and maybe uh, a few covers. We probably played a Simpatico song. I, I like, And um, uh, it, it was great. It was at, at Magic Hat Brewery. And uh, at least a few hundred, not more. And um, uh, there was a, a professional photographer taking pictures uh, uh, from yes. Magic Hat there that day. Mm-hmm. And Sean uh, uh, was actually a graph, the, the, uh, the artistic director for Magic Hat. And he took one of these photos and he decided to use it on a beer label for a, a, a beer called Encore. Yes. And um, he, it's like a, a really awesome, well-designed beer label. And it's got a band and you see a guy holding up a lighter in the middle of the crowd and you look <laughs> on stage and, you know, uh, obviously he did. So that, that wasn't our crowd there, but there was some, there was some Photoshop <laughs> that made, you know, you had to make the label look good. And um, it had uh, 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 Sean on stage, right? James in the middle in big rock pose, holding up the drumsticks, the drumsticks, yeah, ready to hit the cymbals. And then uh, I'm over there on uh, on stage left with my guitar, lo- like screaming, screaming like to yeah. the microphone. And then there was the three of us on this beer bottle, and it looks awesome. But in reality, just to my my left uh, 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 <laughs> was Jim, and. The size of the beer label and the way that it was made. If you put all four of us on there, we would have been mini and you couldn't see it wouldn't have looked as cool. I, I, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm going to, regardless of my disappointment of not being on that label, I know the pictures from that day. I remember when they all came through yeah. and I just don't look as cool. All three, <laughs> all three of you guys were caught in great rock performance photographs, hands down. And I look like someone who just got out of bed and is stomping his foot on stage more awkwardly than Neil Young. So <laughs> I, you know, I did not belong on that label as mm. much as I looked at it. And I thought, ah, you know, at the same time, I, I concede now to this day that I did not bar- belong on that label from a pure ah. marketing standpoint. It's well, perfect just the way that it we, was. We know, we know uh, you're on there. Fun fact, if you look closely at that label, the shirt uh-huh. that I'm wearing is a, is a favorite of mine. It is um, um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with a with a mosaic silhouette of Kevin I remember Costner that. pulling back a bow. It is a beautiful T-shirt. I love me a good ironic T-shirt. That's the best. <laughs> well, what I'm going to do now, Ian, is let's transition because you know we talked about the time we played together. Uh, you know, it was uh, uh, a lot of fun. The experiences that we had, and when I left Vermont. We actually, Lynn and I, we were house sharing with you. It was a, a great experience. Uh, you know, I, we uh, basically left the country and uh, the homestead of yours to move over here. And then I, you know, I started, you know, keeping in touch over the years and following the stuff you were doing on Facebook and the post. And all of a sudden you were popping up as a uh, prominent figure or gaining lead roles in the theater scene in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, where did that start from? How did that begin? So, um, you know, after uh, uh, Evil Hero, we, well, you and I, we played in a cover band called Agent 99. Yeah. And that was a big stepping stone. I, I never wanted to really play a lot of covers. I was always, I just like, I wanted to play my own music. And uh, so Agent 99 was the first time I was ever, 
felt comfortable enough to do other people's material. Um, and after that, then, then you left the state and then just, but I just didn't, wasn't motivated to be in a band anymore. Um, just the, the dynamics of, uh, of working with, I wanted to be on a team and I didn't want to be like a, in a competition. Right. And so, so yeah, I understand uh, that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of got a little bit disillusioned with playing in bands and, and trying to make that happen. Right. And then, um, uh, a friend of mine said, Hey, you know, Lyric theater company is doing rent rent. And I had seen rent on Broadway in 1999. You know, I grew up in New York. Um, yes. My, par my parents met doing hair. They were Sheila and Berger and hair to illegals <laughs> in that show in the seventies. Wow. And then here I am. That's how I came to be. So they, <laughs> they were both uh, uh, um, professional actors in, in the, in the greater New York area uh, when I was mm -hmm. a kid. And so, um, but then my father passed away when I was uh, uh, 12 years old and mm -hmm. he was very much into theater. And so instead of doing theater, I picked up a guitar and decided to be a punk rocker. Uh, and I did that until I was about 30 years old and I was a little bit uh, uh, disillusioned and miserable with playing music. And uh, one of my friends convinced me to audition for Rent. Uh, I, I remember driving back from visiting family in New York on Christmas Eve uh, and listening to that entire show. Yeah. And uh, the role that my friend suggested for me was the role of Roger. Yes. And uh, I listened to the show. And according to the, the, the if you go through that, it, he sings one song in the show. So I was like, oh, I could do this. I could, <laughs> I could sing. I could go out there and sing that song. I could do that. And then, so I really focused on learning how to sing that song. I didn't really look at the script or pay attention too much to the story. But I knew I could sing that song really, really well. Um, and I went and auditioned for um, not even the Lyric Theater Company product. There was a there was a small theater company in Montpelier uh, uh -huh. that was doing and they were doing it about eight months before Lyric Theater was going to do it in Burlington. And so I was like, let me just go do a practice audition and see what happens. Um, I went down there and. I, and I thought this was normal. After my audition, it was an open audition. There was people in the auditorium, other auditionees watching. Mm -hmm. I sang the song, uh, 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 One Song Glory is my uh, um, audition song. And people stood up and they gave me a standing <laughs> ovation at my audition. I was like, yeah. okay. And then I, came, I was walking off stage. And one of the directors looks at me and she goes, do you play guitar? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. I've been playing guitar for, you know, 15 years or whatever. And, she go, and then she just goes, yes. And I was like, okay, I guess that's good. Uh, and and um, so, so I, I got cast in that show and quickly learned that what I had stepped into was a lead role. I didn't, I didn't even really understand. The yeah. And I just, uh, um, but I fell in love with it and I fell in love with the process and the collaboration uh, in a group like where, like I said earlier, I wanted to be on a team and I found that doing, uh, doing theater uh through rent um and it's it's led me to, to some absolutely incredible experiences um the flynn theater here in vermont which is out of all the stages you played in our area i think that's one you didn't play on no no um so the flynn theater it's a it's a, a 1400 seat theater um with a balcony um and it's a beautiful mm -hmm. old art deco theater in the in the center of downtown burlington um 
and uh, I mean, basically every major city in the world has a theater like this, but this is the 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 pearl of the performing arts in the middle of Burlington. And um, um, and, and, the, get, and the roles you've played on that stage? Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to play, well, Roger and Rent. Um, I played uh, Franz from The Producers, the role that Will Ferrell right. played in the movie. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I was Captain Walker in a production of Tommy. Um, wow. Um, and one of the most insane roles I got, I played Jean Valjean from Les Miserables. Uh, we did that for two weekends of sold out performances at the Flynn Theater. That was that's a huge role. That and that was just an, an 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 incredible experience. And to get to do it for an organization like Lyric, who's now been part of the Burlington community for over 45 years, um, at the Flynn, it's just uh, it's just been such an honor and a privilege to be able to perform on a stage like that and 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 for sold out audiences in a 1400 seat theater there's in all the 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 bands that i played in in in, in crappy rock clubs and bars uh um there's nothing that i that compares to uh um uh, uh performing to the, like an audience like that like do you, do you, uh, do, you, do you think you've had your biggest rock star moment then being in theater Probably. So uh, uh, in 2019, April of 2019, I was in Mamma Mia and I nice. played uh, the role of uh, of uh, Sam, uh, who was played. Who played him in the movie? Oh, Pierce Brosnan played him yeah. in the movie. Um, and uh, the song S.O.S. So that's uh, that whole show is ABBA music. And um, ABBA has always been kind of a bit of a guilty pleasure for me, like even to this <laughs> Like, and, but who doesn't love at least one ABBA song? Come take a on. chance, take a chance, take a, take a yeah. chance, chance. You, you yeah. probably played an ABBA song or two in your day. <laughs> um, so, uh, but getting to perform um, SOS, um, it, it, it was a duet with my uh, uh, friend Serena. Uh, uh, and man, but we, the way the director decided to stage it, he ended up giving us handheld mics and he had choreography, not that we were a part of, but choreography going on around us and above us. And it was like the lights and, and a roaring crowd and the sounds. It was, I got to stand at the edge of the uh, Flint theater stage with a handheld mic in a rock stance singing, That's Abba, awesome. singing ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, ABBA is one of my biggest rock star moments that I've had. I, I've had the, uh, the, 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 the ability, thanks to you to see the video of this performance. And it's fantastic. It really is. It's it's amazing, Ian. You know how much I see a growth and shift in what you've done. You know, with singing and performance and what you do in the show. And what's cool about it is there are parts in the show where you start singing, or uh, you know, your partner on stage starts the singing, and the parts, and the audience is so enthralled with what you're doing. You hear them start cheering. Yeah. As you know, you start to sing your next part. Musical theater is always going to be my first love. It is. I, I know I talk about how I played Danny Zuko in Greece when I was younger, but I was 19 years old. Maybe not even. I might have been 18. You know, I was at that perfect age to play that part. And I'll never forget standing on the edge of the stage at the end when they do the We Go Together. And I did the Rock Bopaluma, a Wap Bam Boom bit. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole audience jumped on their feet yeah. and just they were just enthralled by it. And I've never, ever, ever been able to repeat on stage 
with a rock band or any band I've played with, what I had experienced, I would say achieved or experienced in that moment of bringing an audience to its feet, like just enthralled in it. And it was fun to watch that video of, of you performing that because it brought me back to that. And it just, that experience, isn't it something else when people are so emotionally invested in your performance on stage that they're drawn to their feet to cheer for this, this song they've heard a bazillion times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's that's the uh, the beauty of musical theater. You're mixing drama with song, and song already brings up emotions in people. And then you add the other layer of the acting and the the visuals and everything. You know, um, uh, uh, a, a completely different type of song. You know, bring him home from Lay. Yeah, Lay is, the Jean Valjean's big song. That is the hardest song I've ever had to learn in my life. And I spent a, a year of my life, even before. They had auditions for that show, like learning how to really sing that song. It's very, very, very difficult stuff to do. And man, when I, the first time I did that, uh, and then I got a, and, and that's in the middle of the second act, I got a, a, a huge reaction from the audience. I got like a huge applause break in the middle of that, where I had to hold my position because I had the next line after the song, yeah. time, but I had to wait for the applause to die down. and. You know, in reality, it was probably like 15 to to 30 seconds or something like that. But it felt like five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that was that was a, a, an incredible and, and humbling feeling. And just to, like the amount of work that I put in and to, that was my reward, you know, um, and and similarly such there another part later in that show where I'm right at the edge of the stage and my character is dying. And I yes. heard a, I heard a woman in the front row start sniffling and cry i heard <laughs> and it made me cry on stage so it made my performance better so i thank that woman for having a little sniffle because it helped my and you know but that's that's what you did you know you you're you capture something on stage that made people feel something and that is the beauty of musical theater i think that you know when you're doing musical theater is almost like stepping outside of being in the ultimate cover band yeah you know you you, ultimate cover bands are there for people to get up to and dance to on a friday and saturday night and have a good time they know top 40 and the classics and this and that but musical theater is having to have that same exact precision on the music that everybody knows already but to get people to react to it emotionally yeah it's it's really and that's what drew me in uh to to performing in musical theater. And I would not have felt comfortable performing other people's material had you and I not been in Agent 99 together. Cause that was my, the, I remember playing some songs with that band with you and seeing the audience get up in some of those bars we played in and, and dance and start enjoying themselves. And I was like, Hey, you know what? I kind of feel okay performing somebody else's material. And that was the first time in my life I felt okay doing that. And that domino affected right into me doing musical theater. So thank you for being a part of, uh, of, of my journey to the stage. Do you have any future aspirations? Are you still writing music at all? I, I haven't in a while, um, but I've been getting that itch um, lately. And so, I, I, you know, one Corey talked to me about, it, he goes, you know, you should, you should start writing a musical. And so maybe I'll do that one. Because now that I have... I I know what both I could I, I I feel I could do that, but I would take my time with it and do it right. Um, 
Did I ever tell you that my song 27 came from a musical that I wrote? I think you did. I think yeah. at some point we had that discussion. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I recommend doing it. You, you'd be surprised at what you would get out of the, of the writing process. You feel like kind of when you're writing a musical, you have to flow through things. So, you know, am I writing garbage? Am I not to get to the good song and where yeah. I'm at, you know, and the storytelling and everything. But it, it was such a really cool journey to go on. And I, I, I agree with Corey. I think you'd write a, a fantastic musical. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> you should take a shot at it. Well, Ian, I'm going to get going from the show today. Uh, thank you very, very, very much for joining us. Well, thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. It's been good yes. to catch up with you. Hang on the line here. I'm just going to say goodbye to everybody else, and then I'll come back to you. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to So I Used to Be in a Band. It's been fantastic to catch up with my good friend Ian Ferris today and to hear what he's been doing with uh, his time since we've last seen each other. And I can't wait to see what he has coming down the road. Until next time, uh, thanks for listening, and I will catch you later on. Bye now. Would you like to sit and talk?